Amen. Thank you, Lord. The Lord's good, isn't he? Everybody had a good Christmas, I hope. If you didn't, I hope you had a good New Year's. And I'm thankful that you came to church this morning. That's uh, a good way to start the year off. I was happy that we did communion. That's an awesome, awesome way to begin a new year, remembering the cross and the blood and what Jesus has already done for us. So, amen to that. Lord, help. Amen. Okay, so, last year, if you remember, if you can remember back that far, uh, I started doing these teachings and <laughs> out of... Uh, First Kings 17 about Elijah. Does anybody remember that? Yes. And the reason is because the Lord is going to, is releasing and has already released the spirit and power of Elijah on people. And uh, that's the end time uh, greatest anointing, I believe, that God is, is doing in the earth. And, uh, and uh, what does Elijah do? Uh, he prepares the way for the Lord. That's his whole, we see that in the, in, uh, in the New Testament, in John the Baptist, that he prepared the way of the Lord. And so the Lord, what we're doing, the body of Christ, is to make a place for Christ on this earth, right here, and, from, and to go out from, from the congregations all across the world to, to, for Christ to be made king of the earth because he is the king of the earth, even though everybody else is claiming to be king. Uh, so that's really what the spirit of Elijah is all about. Amen? And so it's an important uh, anointing, I believe, that God's really releasing. And so I decided I would just keep going in the life of Elijah because there's so much we can learn from him. So I'm going to read 1 Kings 18. Oh, and I'll just remind you um, how I got all that because I didn't come up with this on my own. Is I had this dream, and a dear lady that that was a part of our church for years... uh, Cindy Martinez visited me in the dream and uh, said she had a message for the church. And if you knew Cindy, you know, if she said she had a message, she, she really had a message. I mean, she didn't stay say stuff just to be saying it. And the message was Mark chapter 9. And I went through that whole, uh, I really went through that, Mark 9. And the thing that's, and it was, that's a powerful chapter. I never really had looked at that chapter before that in detail like that. But the thing that stuck out to most of me was, was the conversation that the disciples had with Jesus after the Mount of Transfiguration when they were coming down to the mountain because Elijah had appeared on the mountain with Moses. And, and they were asking him about Elijah and he was telling, explaining Elijah and he was correcting their theology about Elijah because they had a, a Jewish theology that was taught by rabbis at that day and it was wrong. And he was really correcting that and, t- and explaining them about Elijah. And he said, Elijah, this is what he said, Elijah has come and Elijah will come. In other words, Elijah has come in the person of John the Baptist and Elijah is going to come again, I believe in a corporate person, the body of Christ. And so God is preparing a people and, um, and I believe an anointing of people right now. I really believe there's an anointing coming on the body of Christ in the, in the earth today. And how many people would like to have that anointing on them? Come on, I mean, I'm telling you something. There's no use in being a Christian without an anointing. It's kind of hard to function without it. Uh, think about anointing as like oil uh, that, that lubricates everything. And everything works really good and there's no squeaky wheels and there's no friction. All that is, is move, removed when there's, when there's oil. In other words, what you can do, 
you can do it a lot better with an anointing, right? A whole lot better. So anyways, it says in 1 Kings 18, and I'm going to go back and recap a couple of things, but I think this is important. It, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. This is three years. Elijah had been waiting on God, waiting on this moment. This was a, a peculiar moment. There had been three years of drought in the nation. Think about three years of no rain, what it would do. It's, it's, it's pitiful what happens when, when rain I think I shared when we were in China, we'd been somewhere where there'd been months and months, maybe even a year of no rain. And, and literally, it was like the ground was like talcum powder. It was like talcum powder. And, you know, you're driving, and, he, and it was just terrible. Uh, and imagine three years without rain. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. What an amazing word. Go present yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was, and this is interesting, it says there was a severe famine in Samaria. A severe famine in Israel. Obviously there was a severe famine because that was a total agricultural society uh, depending on rain for the crops. Uh, depending on rain for the animals to live. And it was severe. It was a severe time. And But the Lord's is rising in, in the severe time here and that's a promise for him to rise in our severe times. But I want to point out this little phrase here. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. That's an important phrase. And I want to tell you about something that comes from the New Testament to explain this. I think this is interesting. Uh, in the New Testament, there's a word for time. There, actually, in the New Testament, uh, there's two words for time. One of them has to do with like calendar time or, or based on the earth's rotation. It's chronos time. Uh, that's, uh, that's used all over the New Testament. Another word is, u- is used in the New Testament for time is charis time. It's charis. It starts K-A-I-R-O-U-S is how you spell it. That's a very important time. It's, uh, it's a word that Jesus used when he, when he preached his first message. In uh, Mark 1, he said, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word for time was charis. It wasn't like, oh, today is January the 1st. It's the new year is, is fulfilled today. We're in it. And that wasn't what he was saying. He was saying this was a, a special time. Um, it means, literally, it means the appointed time and the purpose of God, the time when God acts. The time when God acts. like when the God, It was a time when God acted. See, every day God doesn't necessarily act and interject himself. He acts behind the scenes all the time. But there's these moments when God does something. Everybody in this room probably knows that. If you're a believer today, there was a careless time in your life when God acted in your life. God, I believe we're going to see this. A lot this year in people's lives. There's, there's going to be a, we're all going to experience, and we've all experienced these times when God acts, but God is going to act in people's lives. We're going to have these moments, these careless moments uh, in our time. Sometimes it's called the right time. <laughs> That's a good word, right? The right? Or the due time is one of the ways. Or the significant time or an appointed season. And those, those are the ways that it's translated in the New Testament. Um, the cross was a, a careless moment. Um, it says in Romans 5, 6, when, For when we were still without strength, in due time, in due time, this is charis, in due times Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that a beautiful way of saying that? 
Uh, it's the, what I would say, it's the intersection of heaven and earth. It's when, when the, God's world interjects itself into our world in a very significant way. And I've, in my own life, it's, those are the moments of opportunity that God gives us. It's like an invitation from heaven in those Kairos times. Like when Jesus was preaching, it's an invitation where your life can be marked at that moment. And your life can begin to change from that moment on. You, you'll begin to look at life different because heaven touched your life. And heaven touched the way you see things and the way you think about things. And you could begin to have a different life from a Kairos moment. That's what Jesus was saying. Repent. Change the way you're thinking because heaven is right here is what he was saying. Everything is going to shift from now on. And that's, that's what a Kairos can do for you when we have those beautiful moment. So really what we should be doing is living our lives anticipating that God is going to inject Himself into our lives at some point in our days. We should believe that. We should look for that. Um, We shouldn't just look at the way our days go naturally. We should be looking for God in our days. Now, uh, if you think... In your experience or in the biblical experience, some of those moments are very powerful and very significant. Obviously, the cross and, the, and Christ coming and preaching were like the most powerful and, and the most significant. In our life, we'll have those moments or season where it just seems like, you know, you can touch heaven. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where, you know, there's, there's electricity in the air around you and, you, and, and God is easily accessed. It's like God uh, makes the veil thin or even rolls the veil back of His world. And you begin to be able to touch that world a lot easier than normal. And, and sometimes that can go... Uh, for, for a time, for that's what revivals are. Revivals are careless times. There are times when heaven is touching earth in a very real and lively way. And God really wants to bring those times. But then there's those other moments where God just may speak a word to you. It's a very little thing. It's a very short thing. But that one little word, it's like a hinge on the door. Your whole life can turn off that one little word. If we are allowing ourselves to receive those, receive the invitation... Are y'all all right? I hope you are. You know, one thing, you know, the Lord wants to, to, to speak to people. And the Lord wants you to hear His voice. And the Lord wants you to have these Kairos times. That was the first thing that Jesus said when He came. And His first message that He preached. He actually said a few things before that. Like when He was 12. We know He said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? But the first literal message that Jesus preached he brought up this Kairos time thing you know these brilliant theologians have come up with this thing called the law of first mention like when something's first mentioned in the Bible uh, it's important it sets it sets the pace for how that thing is used how that word is used throughout unless it's changed specifically later in the scripture. And I love it that Jesus' first message, he set the pace saying, I'm here, I'm bringing a carriage time. I love that song, like when you walk into the room, I was thinking about, hey, you know when you walk into a dark room and turn the light on? There is no argument. The dark doesn't say, no, you can't, it can't be like, no, there's no argument. Right? That's it. Dark doesn't argue with the light. I mean, it may mumble and grumble in the background, but it's fleeing. That's what God wants to do for people. You know, we were talking about this earlier. You you can spend a lot of time fighting the devil, but we don't have a devil-centered Christianity or a devil-centered gospel. 
God crosses the center. We just need to turn, let the light shine, and the devil, that's going to take care of a lot of the darkness. In fact, it, the darkness is going to flee. The Bible says the darkness has not overcome the light. The light has overcome the darkness. I think that's really awesome. Amen. So let me just say this about Elijah. He had this careless moment. That was what was happening. This word from God came to him. A word that he was waiting on for three years because Elijah was very keenly aware of the desperate state of the nation. Because Elijah, back in 1 Kings 17, was the reason that there was no rain. Now, not the ultimate reason, but he, the, the ultimate reason was because of the, the wickedness and the idolatry of the nation. And the Lord used Elijah to shut the heavens up as a, as a challenge to the spirit of Baal. Because Baal, I think I'm, if you remember it, Baal was the god of rain. He was the god of the crops. He was the god of fertility. And Elijah confronted this because Ahab married Jezebel. Jezebel's daddy was a high priest and king of Sidon that was the capital of Baal worship. And so they brought this evilness into the nation. They brought evil worship of this God, this demonic God that was very real. It wasn't just a statue. It was real and it had power. And the people worshipped it and it would, he, would, he would give the people rain. This is, we're talking about a demon. The demons have power. He would give the people rain. He would give the people children. All that Baal did. And so Elijah, through the word of the Lord, said, it's not raining no more. In other words, he was confronting Baal like it's not going to rain and there's nothing any one of y'all can do until I say it rains. Well, that was a powerful word, and it came true. But the problem was, people were suffering. People were dying. And you know that weighed heavy on Elijah's heart for three years. He watched this thing go on. He watched this, waiting on God. How many people know? You know, when many of us are waiting on God today for a, a word that he gave us. We're looking for God to fulfill the word. We sang it. It was an encouraging thing to remember that God keeps his promises. But it's hard. It's hard to wait. But the waiting is important because, you know, there has to be these, these Kairos moments, even though they come suddenly, as, like out of the blue, so to speak, something was going on behind them that prepared you for that moment. Okay, something was, it wasn't just suddenly God just did something random. God was preparing Elijah up to that very moment. God sent John the Baptist, are you all right? God sent John the Baptist to prepare Israel for that moment where Christ stood up and said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were prepared at least from God's perspective. So in your life right now, whether you're aware of it or not, God is at work in your life. He's preparing you for a moment. He's preparing you to have this moment where God does something that maybe you're looking for or maybe it may be something, a total surprise. It may be the answer to a prayer or it may be something that God's going to do that's, that's really awesome and beautiful in your life. If you'll remember uh, or if you read First uh, Kings 17, Elijah gave this word to Ahab, powerful word facing the king. And the Lord speaks to him right after he gives it and says, Now leave, flee, flee and go out to, to uh, the brook Cherith, which the brook Cherith was way out in the wilderness outside of Israel. It was outside the promised land. And the, he said, The ravens will feed you and you can drink the water from the brook. So he left the spotlight, okay, so to speak, and went and sat at this place all by himself. And people that know stuff claim it was up to a year he sat there. 
And finally, can you imagine? That's a battle of loneliness. Uh, even the most uh, introverted of us would have a difficult time of living in the woods for a year by ourselves, wanting to talk to somebody. You know, it's kind of nice to get to talk to people every once in a while if you're an introvert. And if you're an extrovert, it's, it's torture even to go through an hour without having conversation. Anyway, so finally the the... And I think I may have said this, before you can stand on Mount Carmel, you had to go sit by your brook. Because, see, even though Elijah was very powerfully anointed, okay, at that, you know, when he gave that word, it wasn't time for him to really fulfill his ultimate calling, which his ultimate thing was to stand on Mount Carmel. That was really the, the big thing that God had for his life. And so that's what the brook was all about, is to, to really work something into his heart that needed to be worked. Now, hang on with me, okay? Then the brook dried up. And so sometimes the thing that God gives you dries up, which is, just confounds us when it does. Because suddenly what God was doing suddenly dries up, and you don't know what to do about it, and, you're, and it's perplexing to us. And then the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, Go to, to Zarephath, which happens to be uh, where uh, Jezebel came from. Okay, it was in another nation, Sidon, which I think is in, around where Syria is today. And there'll be a widow woman there, and she's going to take care of you. Which, you know, if you just put yourself in Elijah's shoes, that was like a widow. Come on. I mean, how about a wealthy businessman? I mean, I don't need no widows taking care of me. They don't have nothing. They're poor. You know, and, and that's what, a, when the Bible talks about a widow, all the way through it, there are always people who are in desperate straits. They're poor. They don't have anybody to take care of. They, they don't have anybody to protect them. They don't have anybody providing for them. And that's exactly what this woman was. And he came to the gates of the city, and there she was gathering some, some firewood. And, and Elijah looked at her, and I bet he thought, well, that must be the widow. And, or maybe the Lord said, there she is. Who knows? But he said, hey, get me a glass of water. And she says, okay. And he said, hey, and by the way, bring me back a piece of bread. And she looked around, and she said, you know, hey, I can bring you the water. Okay, but I don't have any bread. I got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm gathering this wood to go mix that flour and oil together, cook it, and me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's a desperate, and okay, you're thinking, and you sent, and I'm, she's going to take care of me. She's dying. <laughs> what am I going to do, move into her house after she dies? Well, the, Elijah prophesied to her and said, hey, if you'll, if you'll make that cake, make that bread, and give it to me, your oil will not run out, your flour will not run out until, until it rains. I mean, and that's what happened. It's an amazing miracle uh, that happened, and she and he went and lived in her house, and she, he was taken care of there. And then her, this is an amazing thing. Her son fell sick. This son she was talking. About, I think found this amazing. Here you got Elijah who speaks, and it can't rain. Who speaks to to oil and flour, and it multiplies. And here she got this sick boy here, and it's not like he got. This is the language. He didn't get sick in a day and just or get run over by a chariot or something. He got sick, and it says he was wasting away day by day, like he had some kind of terrible terminal disease. And you have to believe that the woman went to Elijah before it was recorded that she went to after he died, and like, hey, pray for this guy so he'll 
pray for my son. I mean, you'd have to be really dumb and dense not to believe that didn't happen, even though it's not recorded. And evidently, he did pray for her, for the boy, and the boy still died. That sounds like a lot of people's testimony, right? I'm just trying to comfort you (laughs) with that. Sometimes we pray for people, and God doesn't touch them for whatever reason. Well, this boy died... And then she, she like, like flipped out, started blaming God, thinking she had done something wrong. He took the boy, first resurrection from the dead in the Bible. Amazing. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. So all of that happened, and all of that's powerful. Are y'all with me still? All of that happened, and then what I just read to you is, is the thing that came about next. See, all of that was moments that God was doing to prepare Elijah for what he was really going to do. And that is go up there on Mount Carmel and have the biggest, absolute, one of the biggest showdowns recorded in the Bible between good and evil. Where something nobody else ever ever brought fire down from heaven in the Bible. Right? I mean, and killed all these prophets of Baal. So here's something I want you to know. Okay, this is really important. And this is really true. You're going to be anointed before you get your appointment. Now, this is true. There's anointing. God anoints. It's all over the Bible. God anoints a person before their appointment for the anointing. Think about King David. King David was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the king of Israel. What did David do? Go to the, go to the palace and get his crown and his robe and sit on his throne? No. He marched himself back out to the sheep out in the wilderness. Now, this is the problem. Think about Paul the Apostle, Acts 9. He has this amazing encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. I mean, whoever heard, I, I think about people thinking about God's nice, God's a gentleman. Yeah, he's a gentleman. He, bl- he knocked this guy off a donkey. Knocked him off and blinded him. Does that sound like a gentleman? I mean, I'm thinking, that don't sound too gentle to me. I mean, I can imagine him hitting the ground hard and getting up blind as a bat. I couldn't see nothing. And the people around him like, hurts? What in the world? You know, and it says they led Paul by his hand to Damascus as a blind man. And then there was a man who prayed for him. And it says his scales fell off his eyes. And he baptized him in water and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, guess what he started doing? He started preaching in Damascus, powerful preaching. So powerful that the Jewish, the Jewish people there got really upset with him. And the, it says in, in, in Acts 9 that they lowered Paul out one night out in a basket over the city wall to get him out of there. Okay, so he goes to Jerusalem. He's thrown out of Damascus, they're going to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem. And the apostles, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Like, oh, this guy, he's unkilled. He's, in, you know, he's a killer. He's a murderer. He's a bad person. We're not messing with it. Barnabas comes, okay, and says, hey, no, he's a good guy. I know him. I love him. They believe Barnabas, and they welcomed him. Okay, guess what Paul does? He starts preaching. He's got a powerful anointing to preach. Trouble starts. These guys are going to, these other Jewish people, they're going to kill him. Over his preaching. I mean, because he was blistering them. I mean, he was blistering them bad. He was making them look like idiots. I mean, because his, his, the anointing on him was, was confounding them. 
So what does the apostles do? We've got to get you out of here. They stick him on a boat and send him to Tarsus. And the next thing the Bible says, it says the church had peace. <laughs> now we're talking about Paul. The church had peace. Paul had an anointing, but his appointment, it wasn't time for his appointment. His appointment came four chapters later. Four chapters and from five to 13 years later. Because we don't hear another word about Paul the Apostle until he shows up at Antioch. Okay? And see, that's just the way this thing works. And see, I think it's the... And, and the reason I'm saying that, it's a problem. It's a problem for us as human beings for God to put an anointing on you for something. But you don't have the appointment that goes with the anointing. It creates a problem. I mean, it really does. Um, I wrote down three things that I thought about, about this preparation period between the time God puts a call in ministry or a dream in your heart and the time that it comes to pass, okay? The gap of time creates problems for us. The anointing without the appointing is challenging. I just get that. It's a challenge, and some of you are being challenged by that. I've been challenged about it in my life. Appointment from appointment apart from an anointing creates disaster, there's a lot of things that goes on in the church world where people get appointed to something they have no anointing to do. That's, we don't want that. That's, that's ridiculous. That's the way the world works. What we're looking for is somebody who has an anointing and God is saying, now's the time for that person. Okay? That's, that's really what, what we're looking for. So I'm not really talking about the getting the appointment first because we don't want it first. You may think you want this appointment, but you do not want God's appointment until God says it's time. Even though there's going to be this thing in you. You do not want that person that, you're, that God has promised you that you're going to marry before it's time. You don't want him. Promise you that. Because once you get him, you're not going to want him even if it's time. If you're a girl, that's what Becky tells me anyway. And here's another one. I'm going to tell you this now. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean that your appointment is going to come to pass. Because a lot of people are not willing to submit themselves to that gap of time. A lot of people are not willing to submit themselves to the preparation for them to stand in, in the, the appointment. And so what happens is God can't really give them that appointment. Because they have not lived this process. Imagine if Elijah, obviously he was not ready, as powerful and anointed as he was... And had such a powerful prophetic gift on it, he could stop it raining. He was still, in God's eyes, not ready to stand on Carmel, or at least the world wasn't, until he went through that three years himself, where he could stand up there and do that. So it really is an issue for us, because here, here's the thing. This is, this is do, you, do anybody in here, well, most of y'all in here remember how you used to have these 9 millimeter? was it 9 millimeters? or was that just a pistol? It's a gun, you know, it's a camera that was a, was it nine or? Okay, I'm off. I'm in a different world. Okay, get in the camera world. 35 millimeters that you bought a, a canister of film and stuck in. Remember that? And you would take the picture and you'd have to send the picture off somewhere where they would take it into a dark room, okay, and roll this film out. Because I had a friend of mine who had a dark room. He showed me how you do it. And you got these tubs of chemicals that you dip it in and you, the chem, there's a little red light in there just enough to see 
and you dip the, the film in there, and then it hangs up there for a while for it to develop. Well, that's just, if you're a young person, you're thinking, what? that's idiotic. <laughs> we have Instagram. We take our picture of our camera, and we post it on social media. It's all I- immediately, okay? And so a lot of Christians think that about God. They think God's like an Instagram God. God is not an Instagram. He, he's like the old dark room God. You know, that's how he, he operates in the dark room. He develops things in a dark room. You, you get that? Elijah was in a dark room at, back at that uh, brook. That was a dark room for him. It was a dark room for him to be with that widow and be in that sorrow and that darkness in that place. And I think that's something that, that a lot of people miss. They miss that God's doing something. He's working something in their lives so they can come into something. They, they can be developed to be able to do what He's called them to do. They're able to stand in that place and it not destroy them. I mean, I'm definitely one of those Instagram guys, you know. Well, I was. Okay. So here's something I wanted to say. Uh, I'm saying a lot, I think. Every day matters. And that's what the Lord spoke to me one time, Byron. Every day of your life matters. Okay, every day of your life matters because I am working in your life every day. Although you are not going to have these Kairos moments every day, every day of your life, the day that leads to those Kairos moments, the every day, is really important for you. I want to tell you this story. I got actually two stories that really have thought, just thought so much about. And, and years ago, it was in the 80s, um, there was this guy who was a surgeon, who was a believer, who was invited to speak in this church. And he told the story about a, a little boy who was in a farming accident. And he had his arm cut off right, right above his elbow. It, was, it got caught in some kind of hydraulic machinery. And it severed his arm completely. And he was called to try to reattach the boy's arm. Okay, they took, put the arm you know, on ice and rushed the baby, or his little boy rushed him to the hospital and he was called as a surgeon to try to attach this arm for this child. And so he said that he, you know, ran, you know rushed to the hospital, rushed to his office and was in his ho- looking at, you know, anatomy book. You know, doctors actually study stuff before they do things. I mean, they don't know. They can't recall it. And he was actually studying that part of anatomy to prepare for this surgery. Okay, and he said as he was sitting there going through these medical books, reading and preparing his mind for what he was fixing to do, he looked up on his wall and it was kind of a, it was a dark kind of shadowy wall with the lighting in his office and all his degrees were on the wall. And, he, and he's, it caught his eye and he was looking at all those degrees and the Lord spoke to him and said, all of that was for this moment. All of that was for this moment. He knew, and that was years, I mean, I mean, you could probably ask any daughter, they go to school forever, and then they go for training forever, and then if you're a surgeon, you go for school more forever, and then go, so he spent years, years of his life to become a surgeon, and to be able to be in that moment, and when the Lord spoke to him, and then he showed us a picture of the little boy hanging from monkey bars with both arms. It was amazing. It was amazing to, I mean... That thing hit me like a ton of bricks when he shared that. It shot in my heart because I was, 
I was just struggling in my life. I, I felt I had this calling on my life. I felt God had done things in me. But I was frustrated beyond measure because it was like nobody else believed it. And the people who did believe it couldn't help me. You know what I mean? There's people who believe in you, but there's nothing they can do for you but believe in you and keep encouraging you. And so, a couple years later, I'm making this personal. A couple years later, there was this old man. I was, I was pastoring, but I wasn't at my appointment yet, okay? Uh, there was this old man who went, who went to Cuba as a missionary. He goes down there and preached, and uh, he was kind of a weird guy, really. I'm not mentioning his name. I think he's dead now, but he was a really, he was a weird guy. He had some weird beliefs, but this guy was a legend in Cuba. I found out when I went, went to Cuba. He was a legend down there. Uh, he said, hey, you want to go to Cuba with me? He said, we'll just go down there, and there's many churches that I minister at. You can go, you can minister, help me where I won't have to do so much myself. It would be great for you to do this. I thought, yeah, I think I'm going to pray about this, and I'll give me a couple of weeks, I'm going to pray. So I really prayed. And at the time, I was still employed as an engineer. I took a week and a half off of work because I felt like I'm supposed to do this. You know, I took a week and a half of, off of work and went. Flew down to Miami, and he was going to meet me in Miami at the airport, and then we were going to fly to Jamaica and do some ministry there, and then we're going to get into Cuba illegally through Jamaican embassy, which I don't know how they did that to this day, but that's sort of how you did it. You couldn't fly directly to Cuba. It was all kind of, you know, under the table thing. So I get to Miami airport, and I go back there. You know, this is back in the day when anybody could walk back to the gates. He was sitting on the floor leaning against the wall, and he looked like death warmed over. He was pale as a ghost. He was real clammy looking. And he looked at me and said, I got the flu. I'm not going. He said, you either can go home or you can go on by yourself. And I thought, well, I think the Lord wants me to go. I was stupid. <laughs> I'm going. It was, I had no question. I'm going. The Lord wants me to go. I'm going. I don't care if you go or not. I later realized, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I done this? So I go to Jamaica and get, ugh, that's a whole other story. I forget Jamaica. It was insane. It's not. Jamaica is not beaches like most people. I went to the real Jamaica. I went to the place where it said, you know, Jamaica was a colony of England. A few, and when they got liberated from England, a few years later, the queen visited Jamaica and wept of the state it was in. I went to that part of Jamaica. It would make you weep. The, the sad situation there with the people is it, hideous. And I was glad to get out of there. Unfortunately or fortunately, I went to Cuba with a bunch of Jamaicans I hardly knew. (laughs) And they're crazy. Even the Christian Jamaicans are, they they are crazy. I said, never let a laughing revival get on Jamaica. Because if it does, it's just going to be messed up. I mean, they laugh all the time anyway about everything, whether it's funny or not. They're they're like drunk people. Their normal mode is they're drunk. I don't know what they're drunk on, but you wake up in the morning, literally you wake up in the morning and you smell marijuana. Every day, everywhere you went, they were, that's what you did. And every 10 or 15 feet on the side of the road, there's a bar. An, you know, like a, just a shanty of a bar where they're selling liquor and grilling food. Seriously, that's the way it is. My first thing, I got to tell you this, okay? I'm going to finish this. I was in this car riding from the airport 
and I noticed this tractor trailer coming by, and there were two young guys. They couldn't have been more than 12 or 13 years old. This truck was going 50 or 60 miles an hour. They were on the outside behind the, the, the tractor part holding on, standing between the tractor and the trailer, and it was flying down the road. I thought, what are those guys doing that for? Oh, a lot of people do that here all the time. That's nothing different. That's nothing new. I mean, I thought, they don't do that in America. They'd be put in jail for doing like that. That's endangering people's life. That's stupid. I mean, well, they didn't think it was stupid. That's what's the way you hitch a ride with a tractor trailer. They'll let you do it. Anyways, so, so we spent some time down there getting this Cuban airplane to fly to Cuba from Jamaica. And I'll never forget getting in that airplane. It was not a huge plane. It was a propeller thing, thing like a, what we call a puddle jumper. And hearing those doors shut on that plane, it was one of the most horroring sounds I'd ever heard in my life. For some reason, I didn't know. And then the plane takes off, and I'm sitting there, and this thought came to me. And the thought was this. For the first time... In your life, no one, not your wife, not your friends, not your church, not your nation can help you. That was a thought that came to me. And I realized at that moment, if God doesn't help me, then I'm not helped. Because there was nothing there. You know, we all have props around us right here. We got somebody that can help us. We got somebody we can reach out to. But at that moment, because see, I was on that plane. I shouldn't have been on that plane as far as our government was concerned. I was not allowed to be going there. And I realized I was. And, and the Lord had me right where he wanted me at that moment. He had me where I felt helpless. And I felt like, if God, if you don't help me. And I realized, I don't really, I'm wondering about, do I trust the Lord? Because I felt at that moment, a lot of my trust in life had been on all these other things and not in him. You know, the Bible says don't trust in princes. Everybody's excited about Donald. Well, not maybe everybody, but a lot of people are excited about Donald Trump. And I'm happy that somebody got voted in, but I'm not putting my trust in a prince. And I think if this nation and and the body, this is a silent, if the body of Christ puts their trust in him without praying, then we've made a huge mistake. We're going to be let down over and over. We've got to pray. That's our job. We, We really do. We can't put our trust in a man. We can hope for that man. We can believe for that man. We can pray for that man. But if we, if we, and if we don't do that, if we don't support that, then he's going to fail. That, our job is to pray and, and, and make this thing work. Anyways, the Lord, when I was sitting there feeling all this despair in my life, I remember that story about the surgeon. I started thinking about it. And I was realizing at that moment God was saying to me, I've prepared you for this moment. This is a special moment in your life. This is a Kairos moment in your life. And, and I didn't really understand it because with the surgeon, he had something very natural he did. I went to Cuba. I really had a grand time, but not because I had any. They realized I was this old man's friend. And because I was his friend, I was their friend. Because he was honored, they honored me. They even said, hey, normally he sits here. We're giving you his place to sit. This is the place of the highest. I'm like, <laughs> That wasn't it, though. Here's what it was. Here's what the Lord gave me there. You know, most Christians believe in missions, right? We are, oh, yes, the Great Commission. 
I mean, I believe in that. But see, God put a thing in me there. He, he put a love in my heart for, for the Cuban people. He put a love in my heart for Hispanic people. I mean, a real love and a desire for, for, and for dark people. I came away from there with something in me that God, that was a careless moment for me. God imparted something to me there, you know, that has changed, that's really changed my life. That's one of the core values of our church. That's why it's a core value. It's not because Christians are supposed to believe that. Are y'all following this? That was an important thing to me, is, is a love and a, and a desire to reach people of other cultures and other skin colors besides mine, and a true love for them. That's what, that was what God had prepared me up until that moment. I wasn't ready to receive that. Okay? Are y'all following this? Now, this is really important. Okay? So, uh, let me read this, Matthew twenty two fourteen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. Why are few chosen? Because a few refuses to go through that pr- process that preparation, they can't, they fall out. And, and the reason a lot of them fall out, they don't understand what God's doing. They don't understand that He's, the anointing that He's placed in their life, He's p- preparing their hearts to carry that anointing, to be able to release that anointing to other people. And so that's why they're not chosen. They have the calling, they have the gifts, they have dreams. People wonder why their dreams fail. And it's because God has to work in a person's life when He gives them a true dream. So between the, the dream and the fulfillment of the dream, there's going to be all kinds of disaster. There's going to be all kinds of, you're doing the right thing, but it's not working out in your life. You're saying the right thing, but it's not listening. Nobody's listening. You're trying to make the dream come true, and it's like pouring money down a hole. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's because God is working in your life to prepare you for the day that He will bring it to pass, for the day for when the, you are finally appointed to fulfill that dream or fulfill that calling or fulfill that ministry, fulfill that business, to have that, yeah. that spouse. Y'all looking really mad at me. Okay. So, all right, I'm going to finish up here, but I do want to give you something. A little bit, just, just a little bit more. Are you, are you good for me to finish this? Because i got to help you do this. You've been anointed, so the question is, will you go through the process and see your appointing come? That's the question. I believe everybody in this room has got an anointing on them for something. Everybody in this room has got this dream in their heart. Everybody in this room has this calling on them, this thing in them, this desire in them. The question is, will you be willing to go through it? And let me just say this. You may have already gone through this. And now you're going through it again for something different. It's not a one-shot deal in your life. You get different anointings at different seasons, but you still get to go through the process. I don't care how experienced you are, how, how, what you've walked through. So, yeah, I hate that, though. <laughs> I was just this one-time deal. It is uncomfortable. When it doesn't look like it's going to work out for your life, isn't it? It's terrible. When things, and you've done everything right. You've done what you're supposed to do, and it's still like, and there's no results. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's just so discouraging when you've done everything you know to do. You've, you've sowed yourself. You've poured yourself. You've submitted yourself. You gave. You did all these things, and it still looks like it's not going to work out. I don't know about you, but that's a hard place to be. 
And if, if you're there, good news. You've got an appointment soon. Come and hang in there. Don't give up. Don't, don't let it go. Just keep doing that. Because there will be a day like with Elijah. Go see Ahab. The time's come to deal with this. There's going to come that day. So here's the thing I want to tell you. How do you go forward when you have that high? Because, see, we can't create those chaos moments. We can't do that. We can't make them come any sooner or, or anything. We don't have any power over that. That's all in God's hands. So what can we do? That's the question. That's the question you have to answer. That's really what I want y'all to get out of all this. I want you to get something in your life that will help you from the time you feel like there's a promise to get you to the fulfillment of it. The things that you're supposed to do. And there's lots of things. I've boiled it down to two things. Faith and fellowship. Faith and fellowship. Uh, the Lord said, go show yourself to Ahab. In 1 Kings 17.3, he said, hide yourself. Here's the thing. Everybody wants a formula. Okay, we want formulas to be able to do our Christian thing. If we got these formulas, we got these principles, so, but you see, that's not the way it works. Hide yourself, show yourself. Go, sit. Rest, work. You know, it's, it's like, oh, which one do you want me to do? You want me to rest or work? Both. Do you want me to hide myself or show myself? Both. You see, that takes a relationship with the Lord. That takes being able to hear God and be connected with God. Because for me, it may be go. For you, it may be sit. In fact, this is what the Lord was telling me. And I, I was like, well, should I tell everybody that? Well, you can tell them, but you need to tell them I said it to you. I'm not necessarily saying it to y'all. The Lord said to me, 2017 is a year of action for you. In other words, I want you to do some things. I'm thinking, I've been doing stuff. No, I want you to do some things. But that doesn't mean everybody's supposed to. The Lord may be saying to some people, well, the year, the year 2017 is a year of rest for you. Don't really put your hands to whole much. Just do the basics. You see, we've got to better learn to hear that, engage. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. You know, forget all this stuff that people say. A lot of it may be it's what the Lord's saying to them, but... Don't forget this. God wants to bless and prosper you. I think that's the truth always. So I'll, I'll say amen to that for 2017. So, you um, know, the key with Elijah, he was willing to, to hide himself or he was willing to show himself. Whatever God said, that's what he did. He, he was willing to flow with that. One didn't have to uh, counsel the other. Um, but I wanted to read this one scripture, Daniel 11:32, which most of you may know it. It says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Isn't that great? The people who know their gods. They're the ones who are going to fulfill their calling. It's, it's, see, it's in knowing God. See, I think that's a lot of the thing that goes on in this time between where you get the dream, you get the calling, and the fulfillment of it is to getting to know God. It's, it's having this relationship with God. And learning how God thinks and learning the heart of God and the feelings of God and, and the little nuances that work with the Holy Spirit. Because he, he you know, and, and, you, and that's a lifetime of learning. But God really, that's one of the things He really wants us to do in that in-between time. Is really get to know Him. Because so, so at the end of the day, it's really not about anointing. It's not about calling. It's not about purpose. It's not about all that. It's about knowing Him. And being connected with Him in a vital way where you can respond to the things that He's doing. 
And so I think that's what I call fellowship. God really is asking people to fellowship with Him. To really make that a part of your life. To, to really want to, to be with God. And to know God. And listen to this. To know Him the way He's revealing Himself to you. Not the way He revealed. Now this is important. God doesn't always reveal Himself the same way. Listen, let me just tell you this one example. Joshua, the son of Nun, was Moses' assistant. And when they had in the wilderness, they had the, temp, the, the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord would sit down on this tabernacle. And Moses would go down there, and Joshua would tag along with him to get what God was wanting to do so Moses could tell everybody. That's how Moses found out stuff. And it says in the Bible that then Moses would go and tell everybody, but it says this, but Joshua would linger in the presence of the Lord. He would just get back there and he would just soak and, oh, just enjoy the Lord, worship the Lord. Everybody, would, you know, he's back there in that glorious presence. He did that for years. And then Moses dies. They cross over into the promised land and the Lord appears to Joshua. Not as the soaking God, but as a military man. Why? Because Joshua, this is what's happening in your life now. We're not soaking now, we're going to war. And so, you see, and I mean, I'm, I'm saying that, I love to soak. I do it a bunch on a personal level. You know, there's times to really, corporately, to be still. And there's times to move. And there's times individually to be still. You know, there's being and doing. All you're doing must come from your being. Right? I'm not saying go out and do a bunch. You know, I used to tell people, do something if even it's wrong (laughs) at work. Like, do something even if it's wrong. Just get busy. Don't sit around. Find something to do. I'm not suggesting Christians do that, but I am suggesting you know, that we know the Lord in the way He wants to reveal Himself to us in this day. Because I believe, I do believe this, something has shifted in the spiritual atmosphere. I don't know if y'all believe it or not. And it's not just about the election and all that, but I spiritually, I believe God has shifted something. I feel it in my own personal life. I feel it. And I think we have to connect with what's, what that is. That's knowing the Lord. Connecting with what God's doing now and not trying to do what He did. Unless he happens to be doing it still. Then it's no longer a did, it's a doing. All right, the other thing is faith. And uh, I wanted to say this. Are y'all okay? Are y'all not? Listen, there's a difference between being faithful and walking in faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me just give you the example of marriage. You can be faithful to your marriage. In other words, you never going to run out on your spouse. You're faithful to the marriage vows, but have a terrible marriage. Do y'all understand that? You can be faithful as a Christian. You, I'm going to not cuss. I'm not going to do bad things. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray here and there. I'm going to try to read the Bible. I'm going to try to help somebody do something. That's being a faithful Christian. That's a great thing. But God didn't cause us. He says, He talks about walking in faith. He talks about contending for the faith. It's like this. Here's a good Did y'all get that? I want you all to get that about your marriage. Okay? Just because you're faithful to your marriage vows doesn't mean you have a good marriage. You could have a sorry marriage. Believe me, we've, Becky and I have met with many people. Nobody did anything. Nobody's run off with somebody. 
They just weren't treating each other right. They weren't paying attention to each other. They weren't trying to develop the relationship further. They were demanding something from their partner. Their partner couldn't give them or wouldn't give them. And so we really need to cultivate our marriages and take care of our spouses. And that's, that's having faith. That's walking in faith when you're being active. You can believe in healing. Oh, I believe in healing. I believe God heals and never pray for one soul to be healed. One of them believing in it. Oh, I'm faithful to what the Bible teaches. The other one is I'm walking in faith. Y'all following that? And I think that's the thing that, that, that we're going to have to do or we should do or however I can say that is, is we, I want to read this one verse. Uh, Jude 1, 3, it says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all, God has handed a... Isn't that beautiful? He's handed a faith to... He's not just talking about some theoretical faith or the faith of Christianity. No, he's talking about a real and living faith that's active, you know, and that's living and that does things. I read this great thing years ago about Bill Johnson. You know, Bill Johnson is a very famous Christian now. He wasn't always that. And his daddy was struck with cancer. And his daddy was a great pastor, evidently. He pastored that church before Bill Johnson became the pastor of it. His, you know, he was a long-term pastor. And his daddy was struck with cancer. And he prayed, you know, pray. everybody's praying for the, for the dad and hoping and believing and, you know, declaring and decreeing. And his daddy died. And his daddy didn't make it. And he said, he said, this is what it felt like to him. This was when we heard him down there at, in 2007 at that retreat. <laughs> Me and Marlon and Andy uh, Squires and Matthew Bolger were down there. Bill Johnson was preaching, and they did all this stuff, you know, did a ministry time, and it was over with. Everybody was done. People were leaving, and, and somebody decides, we're going to get Bill Johnson to pray for us. And somebody walks up there and just busts through everybody around him and stands there in front of him where he, he's going to have to respond to this person. I, it wasn't me. I wouldn't do that, but... I, and it wasn't Marlon. I let you guess between Matthew, Matthew or Andy, and and, and he finally acknowledged. And what can I do for? It? I want you to pray for us. And then we went up. That was pretty cool. I thought. And he prayed for each one. I, this is what he did. I, I just tell you this. He went through each one. What do you want? What do you want God to do for you? Remember that. He, and everybody had a little bit of a different answer. And we at, and we said, "This is what we want God to do for us." And he prayed that. Just simple, simple prayer. It was awesome. But anyway, back to his dad. Um, he said after, after he he said it was like this. I felt like I was pushing a, uphill against a a thousand pound boulder, and I couldn't move it. It was not I couldn't budge it, and my daddy died. He said, but this is what I did learn. After it was all over with, I found out I can budge a five hundred pound boulder because of pushing against that thousand pounder. And there's what he was saying, that contending put a spiritual strength in him. And then he says, and this is why one of the reasons God did, has done what he's done, you know, with the healing anointing that they got in that church. Where a lot of people testify about the healing anointing, over, you know, in the, in the years since then. That there was a powerful healing anointing. And he said, it's because I pushed against a thousand pounder. And I couldn't move it, but it's, it did something in me. It did something in me. And it made me able to be able to push smaller boulders. 
Isn't that powerful? I mean, I really, do you remember him sharing that, Marlon? It was powerful. It really spoke to me. Like, man, you know, because we had disappointments and things that we pushed against and felt like somehow God, at the right time, he is going to release something. Amen? And I, I believe we're at that right time. I believe, you know, that, we, that we're going to see God answer some things for us and we're going to see God resolve some things for us. And he, I believe people are going to have a careless moment. We're going to see God's going to show up suddenly. And we're going to think it's suddenly. It's going to look like a suddenly. But really, all that you've been through, all that you've walked through, all the pain, all the, all the hurt, all the disappointment, was not what it was. It was God was preparing you. He was preparing you so He could show up and where heaven could come into your life and that things could shift in your life. I believe God wants to bring justice. I'm going to say this because Angel and them are not here this morning. I, Bob Jones told me when Matt Stewart was murdered, he said, you need to contend for justice over every drop of his blood. And don't you ever stop. I cannot drive by the police station without praying, Lord, solve that crime. Solve that crime. And everything that was lost, everything that was lost, everything that was lost because we lost this man, let it be restored to those people it was supposed to be. See, God's a God of restoration. God does not forget. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget the losses. He doesn't forget the disappointments. And I believe that's what Jude was saying. You need to contend for this. You need to contend. You need to declare for these things. You know, you don't need to let your past and the disappointments and the hurts of your past stop you from what God has for you for today. And if you'll just keep Keep, come on, Marlon. If you'll keep up, if you will not quit, I believe that you'll find that God will meet you. And it'll be like Elijah. You waited for those three years. You suffered for those three years. You felt like, what in the heck? I'm sure there were moments where he regretted ever giving that word, seeing all the suffering around him. But the moment came when the Lord says, Go show yourself. Go show yourself. And I'm going to tell you, it probably wasn't easy for him to do that because Ahab was trying to kill him. Ahab had been searching for him for three years to kill him over the drought. And he went. And if you read the rest of the story, he went and he had that showdown. He was ready for it. God's got, you're going to see some things, I believe. I just want to encourage you with that. I'm going to pray a quick prayer in Marlin for people. Okay. I just want you to, whatever it is in your life, You know, whatever, whatever that thing is where it hasn't worked out. You feel like God never answered your prayer or God didn't do what you thought he was going to do or the dream died or you, you gave up on your calling. You know, that's, that's the thing. I believe God wants to. Well, I know the Lord prepared me to be a wife and to be a mother. You know, and it never happened or... Or the Lord really called me to, to be a preacher. Or to re- the Lord called me to be a businessman. And I'm stuck in a dead-end job. And I thought I was going to feed people with the success off my business. And I can barely feed myself and my family. Just things like that. Every one of us in this room, I promise you, you got something to that degree in your life. And I just believe God wants to do something about it for people. I believe we're in a season where God's going to release 
a moment for you where, where He's going to invade your life and things are going to shift from that point. Amen. So, Lord, I just pray for all of us. I pray for everybody. I pray for this church. I pray for everybody in this room. Lord, we are asking you, Lord, to bring that moment, that caress moment into our lives where heaven comes into our life and everything shifts. That we would be released from things that have held us back. We'd be released from disappointment, from failure, from loss of vision, from witchcraft, Lord. Lord, from sin that have, has held us back, that we keep falling back into. We'd be released from those things, Lord. That you would visit us, Lord, and reveal yourself to us and cause us to fall in love with you in a fresh way. Lord, and cause those dreams that you've put in us, cause those callings that you put in to come alive in us, Lord. And there'd be fulfillment all around us. There'd be fruit all around us. Lord, I ask you to do that for every person. In Jesus' name, amen.